By God's help and grace, let us again turn from the portion we have read, John chapter 14, and especially verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Let me start by telling uh, an illustration. There are some religious groups in Nepal and India who tried to fit all religions into one box. Their religious symbol is a dazzling circle and around the circle there are figures of gods and prophets of all major religions. In the center of that circle, there is a supreme soul from which rays of light beams out, showing that the supreme deity sent his prophets or gods in every age. So one light radiating to Buddha, other light radiating to Moses, symbolizing Judaism, other light to Guru Nanak, and other to Confucius, order to Prophet Muhammad and still order to Jesus Christ and so on. So they claim all faith leads lead to one supreme God. Whether you follow Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam or Christianity, they take you to heaven. According to them, there are many ways to God, not only one exclusive way. However, the claim of Jesus undercut this view. Jesus claimed to be the only way to the Father, and without him, no one goes to heaven. He is not our way, he is the way, and there is no other alternative way. And this is to say, God cannot be found and accessed without coming to Jesus. First, coming to Jesus, God cannot be accessed because God revealed in Jesus the full and final revelation. Jesus is the embodiment of the revelation of the Father in full and in final. That's why there is no other way. The context of John 14 is this. Jesus' disciples are facing a series of trauma, disturbance. They were disturbed because their Lord and teacher is leaving them behind and going to a place where they don't know about. In the previous chapter, if you see, they have heard, Jesus has told them that one of them is going to betray him and another one is going to deny him three times. More than that, very soon they are going to see their Lord and Teacher being flogged, beaten, mocked, and eventually crucified like a criminal. And this is why Jesus comforts them in advance so that their faith might not, might not be weakened when they see the horrible things done to their Lord and their Teacher. So he comforts them by promising a glorious reality of heaven in the midst of chaos and 
confusion. He said, Let your hearts not be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to pre prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is very interesting because Jesus drew an analogy of Jewish wedding. So you cannot understand, we cannot understand what Jesus is saying until we understand the Jewish wedding, Jewish marriage. In order to understand the full significance of what Jesus is saying, we have to understand Jewish custom of marriage. So let me tell you what happens in Jewish wedding. A major step in Jewish wedding is betrothal. Betrothal involves the establishment of a marriage covenant in which the prospective bride, bridegroom would take the initiative. The prospective bridegroom travels from his father's house. Notice his father's house to the home of the prospective bride. He then negotiates with the father of the young woman to determine the price he must pay to purchase his bride. After the price is paid, the marriage covenant is established and the man and the woman are regarded to be husband and wife. From that moment, the bride is declared as consecrated or set apart exclusively for her bridegroom. After the betrothal ceremony, the groom then leaves the bride's house and returns to his father's house. Remember again, father's house. He would remain there for a period of 12 months and the groom prepares the living accommodation in his father's house to dwell with his bride after the marriage, while the bride prepares herself to gather her trousers and to prepare for married life. And at the end of the separation, the bridegroom comes to take his bride to his home and they live together. So this is what happens in Jewish custom of marriage. So in the light of this analogy, we can easily understand what Jesus is saying here. We know the church is the bride of Christ and Jesus himself is her bridegroom who was in his father's house. We know that Jesus, before he came to earth, he was in his father's house in heaven. And just as the bridegroom left his father's house and traveled to the home of his bride, Jesus left heaven and he came down to earth in order to establish a marriage covenant. Jesus instituted the marriage covenant with his bride on the same night of John 14. And Jesus said like this, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is actually Paul saying, but it is what Jesus said. The cup is the new covenant in my blood. This shows that the purchase price Christ paid to purchase his bride was his own life blood, not money. In 1 Corinthians 6, 
on the way to Emmaus, they were hoping that, they were hoping Jesus will redeem them, but Jesus' death has brought them trauma and pain. He might have thought the master, the, so the Christ's departure means for Thomas and other disciples that their expectation and hope is fall, are falling and coming to an end. He might have thought that Thomas might have thought that the master was, was deserting them for another place on earth. And remember, this is what the Pharisees and the Jews said to Jesus in, uh, in, in John chapter 7, verse 35. The Jews said like this to one another. They talked like this one another. Where does this man intend to go? They, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? Jesus told them to the Jews that he was going to the Father and they misunderstood. And here Thomas exactly repeated the same mistake. He thought Jesus was going somewhere on earth. But in order to clear Thomas's doubt, Jesus made this marvelous statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is claiming to be the only way to the Father through whom they must draw near to God. Jesus is not one of the ways of many as some Hindu groups claim, but he is the way. Jesus is the way because he is the truth and the life. There is a Hindu god named Krishna who is believed to be one of the ways to the supreme deity according to that dazzling circle. He claimed to be the way to the supreme god falls apart because he lied many times and he tricked falsely to win the battle. So he is false. In order to be the way, one also has to be the truth. Likewise, the Prophet Muhammad can't be the way to God. You know that ISIS and other radical Muslim groups are claiming that they follow Prophet Muhammad and the Quran. And we know what happened in France. About 130 people were killed. And they claim, they directly claim that they follow Prophet Muhammad and Quran. And the world knows what they are doing is absolutely evil. That is against the truth. So Muhammad does not qualify to be the way either because the truth did not dwell in him. On the other hand, Jesus is the truth and the life. He neither lied like Krishna, nor taught violence like Muhammad did, but he spoke truth and loved peace. That's why Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And this was John 18 verse 18 and John chapter 18 verse 35 will prove this. You know the conversation between Pontius Pilate and Jesus. Pontius Pilate asked Jesus like this, So you are a king. And Jesus answered like this, 
You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. And notice this: to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. In other words, Jesus is saying, "I am the epitome of truth. I am the embodiment and the personification of truth. I am the incarnation of truth." And Jesus is the source of life. Life in John's gospel virtually means eternal life. So he is also the embodiment of life because every life comes from him. He is the source of life. He is the source of immortality. And this we see in John 11 verse 25. Jesus said, "I am the resurrection and the life." Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Jesus is the source of life. He can resurrect people and give life. He is the life. So Christ claimed that he is the embodiment of the truth and the life, and those perfectly qualifies him to be the absolute way. for his disciple to attend the dwelling place in his father's house Jesus is the way because he is the truth and the life Jesus said that there are many rooms in heaven these rooms had been prepared for the redeemed sinners before the foundation of the earth but the problem is the door of heaven is shut tightly and jesus is going to open this door of salvation but that will cost his life every jewish child is taught from his childhood that god is found in the israel's temple despite god's real dwelling place is heaven and the temple is said to be a shadow of the real dwelling place of god that is the heaven this we see from the garden of eden the garden of eden and the jewish temple have many similarities i will give you some the entrance entrances of the eden and the temple are on the east side and there were two cherubim placed and we see there were two cherubims on the ark of the covenant adam and eve were told to guard or till eden the garden and if you know the hebrew the same word was used when god told the priest to guard the temple from defilement so eden was in reality the first temple of god where he dwelt where he walked to and fro but the fall has disrupted the communion between god and man as a result they were expelled from the garden and the cherubims and the flashing flaming swords were put to keep man out from the garden like eden the holy of holies of the temple was was inaccessible to people but god is so merciful that he granted an access to the high priest once a year to atone sin of the nation of israel only once a year one person can enter into the holy of holies but without not without blood 
he has to take blood to atone for his sins and to the sins of Israel. For the sins of Israel. Remember the high priest entered into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement and sprinkled blood seven times, the number of perfection, on the mercy seat that is on the Ark of the Covenant. And we know that on the, in the Ark of the Covenant there were two tablets. The covenant, the Mosaic tablet, Moses, that the law of Moses, two tablets given by God. And when the when the priest would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, what happened was God is angry because we have broken his Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments is a substance and the summary of whole law of Moses. And the people have broken Ten Commandments, so God who dwells on the cherubims is angry with his people. But when the high priest entered to the Holy of Holies, he sprinkled blood seven times and that means God, the guilt, has been covered. God doesn't, the, the guilt, the breaking of the commandment has been covered from the sight of God. And that's why in Hebrew, they don't call the day of atonement. What they call was the day of covering because their sins was covered from the sight of the Lord. And that is the significance of the day of atonement. <clears throat> However, according to the epistle to the Hebrews, the temple and its rituals are just a shadow of the heavenly temple. That is the reality. And the blood of animal was pointing forward to the blood of Christ, which he poured on the cross. <clears throat> the author to the Hebrews said that Christ went into the holy of holies, not in the shadow, but in reality itself. By taking his own blood. Remember the blood is a purchase price. To purchase Christ's bride. That is the church. And he sprinkled on the mercy seat. And God. And appeased God. God's righteous anger. Once for all. So Christ appeared there. As our substitution. And representation. Representative. And claim a right of entry. For his people. In other words, Christ, the pioneer or the captain of our salvation, went ahead of us and removed all barriers that sin made between God and man. So that was what happened in Christ when he, when he went. He did not go to the physical temple, but he went to the reality, heaven, and he appeased God thoroughly. Because he covered the guilt, the covenant we have broken. He covered it from the sight of God. And that covering resulted God being propitiated. Or God's wrath, wrath was calmed down. In light of this, let me read Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 to 20. And notice the word the way. Okay? Notice the word the way in Hebrews chapter 20, uh, 10 verses 19 to 20. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, and that is his body which was broken on the cross, the veil. Because his body was broken, the veil has been opened, 
and we have the new way, not in the shadows, but in reality, in heaven itself. This is why the curtain of the temple was torn apart from top to bottom as soon as Jesus died. So what was happening there was this. The way to the Holy of Holies in heavenly temple was being opened for sinful man by the work of Christ in heaven. And the sin has been displayed in its shadow. In other words, what was being accomplished in the reality is being revealed in the shadow when the curtain of the temple was torn apart from top to bottom. What was happening in heaven has been sown in its shadow. So it seems like they are synchronized. God showed that, the, that the, uh, his wrath has been appeased and the justice has been done. And it is all the work of Christ who did this. In this way, Christ, Christ prepared or opened the way to the Father. No other gods or prophets of the other religion accomplished the work of salvation, but Christ Jesus alone did. And this is precisely why no one comes to the Father except uh, but by Jesus. No one comes to the Father but by me. And this is also precisely why, why there is no salvation in, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross prepared the way to the heaven. He not only sowed the absolute way to God's house, but also prepared the place for his church. Not only sowing, but preparing the place. He is taking the initiative. The Renaissance opened up the new ways for ideas, knowledge, and discoveries in 15th century Europe. People began to make maps and new lands and began to build ships to explore places they had never visited before. Christopher Columbus, an Italian explorer and navigator, was born at the bosom of the Renaissance. He completed four challenging voyages across the Atlantic Ocean in his lifetime. He is believed to have discovered America with many difficulties and troublesome voyage, he prepared the way for the world to explore America. Columbus sowed the new land to the world. However, Jesus not only sowed the world, the way to heaven, but also promised to come back and take his disciples there so that they could explore heaven. They could see heaven. They could enjoy in heaven and they could see and take delight in heaven, not only preparing, but taking initiative. In other words, Columbus drew the map to the new land, but Christ not only drew the way to the Father, but prepared the eternal home in Emmanuel's land. 
Jesus having revealed his identity as the way, the truth and the life, continued to unveil his other identity. He said, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. And here again, disciples, they did not understand what Jesus said. And at this, Philip interrupted Jesus, saying, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient or enough for us. What Philip was pleading to Jesus was so, to show a theophany, a visible manifestation, manifestation of Father's glory, like Moses saw. Philip is saying, Lord, show us the glory, like Moses saw, show us the Father. He longed to see more full vision and revelation of God's glory, like other, like uh, Old Testament believers saw. And by this stage, the disciple had not fully grasped the identity of Jesus as God. They might have thought he was the greatest prophet, or they might have believed him to be God, but they are still uh, not conformed. They might have thought he's a lesser God than the Father in being. And in this case, Philip asked him to show the greater God. But Jesus rebuked him and at the same time greatly startled him by revealing the union, the oneness, and the equality with the Father, not only in function, but in being. And that's the greatest real, that's the marvelous uh, revelation in this word. Jesus said, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, So us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus is saying that, Whoever, seen, whoever has seen the Father has seen me because he is the visible manifestation of God on earth. And there is a union, there is an intimate union between the Father and the Son, the oneness and the equality. Not only that, this chapter is full of the claim of divinity, Jesus' claim to be divine. At least there are four instances Jesus claimed to be God in this chapter. First one, in verse 2, Jesus said, Believe in God, believe also in me. If Jesus had been the great prophet, he must not and he should not tell his disciples to trust in him. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel never told people to believe in them. Jesus here is definitely claiming to be divine. Secondly, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. And I am is the divine name revealed to Moses. When God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
Thirdly, in verse 7, Jesus addressed God as his father. Remember earlier, the Jews accused Jesus for this reason, because they thought he is addressing God as his father. That means he is making himself equal with God when he called God as his father. In John chapter 5 verse 18, For this reason they, the Jews, tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus claimed to be one and the same kind of the Father, revealing the genetic identity with the Father. And that's the Greek word uh, monogenes. If you know Greek, that's the word that one and the same kind. Not a similar kind, one and the same kind. And finally, in responding Philip's question, Jesus is the incarnation of God's presence on earth. He is the visible manifestation of God, the image, the expression, the glory, reflection and representation of the Father. So the divine glory which Moses saw partly on Mount Sinai was revealed fully in Jesus. Precisely this is why Jesus is to see, to see Jesus is, is to see the Father. What Philip and other disciples were seeing is none other than God in flesh. Christian, we never make Jesus God. We never deify him. We believe what he had claimed in his holy scripture. Many people say that we deify Jesus. In 4th century in the council, we made Jesus God. But here it is, the claim we believe that Jesus claimed himself to be God and this is the wonderful that he said whoever has seen the father has seen me friends you might be moral clever learned highly gifted super talented hospitable charitable kind-hearted and jealous for good or you might be coming to church in childhood and practicing Christianity, yet not profess faith in Christ. I tell you, my friends, these virtues are impossible to save you, for they do not meet God's standard. Unless you trust in Jesus, the path to heaven won't open for you, because Jesus is the only one who opens the way, and unless you believe in him, unless you move and go take that way, you will never reach to heaven. Remember, Jesus is preparing a place for his bride, who is betrothed to him. Not for everyone. If you are not betrothed to Jesus, he is not his bridegroom, and he will not take you to his father's house. Tonight is an opportunity to profess Jesus as your bridegroom. Tonight is is the opportunity to enter into the marriage covenant with him. If you do so, he will come and get you to eternal home. And he himself had promised, and as he himself had promised in John 6:14, he said like this, For this is the will of my Father, 
that everyone who looks onto the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And remember, and I will resurrect Him up on the last day. Jesus has not only prepared the way, but He had prepared a place for you. He had prepared the place, way, and prepared the place for everyone who believe. If you believe in Jesus, you have the way to heaven. If you don't, you don't have the way to God. If you believe in Jesus as your atoning sacrifice, then you are on the right way to heaven. But if you don't, then as Jesus said in John 8, 24, to the Pharisees like this, those who didn't believe Jesus to be the way, those who didn't believe Jesus as divine, Jesus said like this in John 8:24, You will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. I read about two old women who wrote their personal experiences as they were dying. One was a Christian woman who truly believed Jesus as her personal Lord and Savior, and other was not. One had entered through the door of cross and was heading towards the presence of God, while other had shut the door of salvation and sadly heading towards destruction. They wrote this as they were dying. The Christian woman experienced the light in her heart getting brighter and brighter as she was close to heaven. On the other hand, other lady experienced the darkness in her heart getting darker and darker as she was dying in her disbelief and sin. Tonight, if you believe Jesus, you are on the way. Tonight, if you believe in Him, that you have assurance of salvation, He will come and take you home. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for sending your Son as our way, the life and the truth. We thank you for he has revealed his glory and he had made a covenant, marriage covenant with us and he had shed his own blood on the cross to purchase us. Lord, we, are, we marvel what Jesus has done. It was really costly for him. It was not easy, but he did for our sake because he was moved by the love for his bride. We thank you, Lord. Help us to be set apart for our bridegroom, the Christ, who will come one day, who will resurrect us and who will take us home. Lord, you would reveal this truth to those who haven't kept their, put their faith in Jesus, who haven't believed Jesus as their bright 
bridegroom. Lord, you'd reveal this and you'd help them to know that their way might be prepared and their place may be secure in heaven. Lord, we long to see on that day many people being saved and many people dwelling in heaven because you are preparing a place for us. What a love and concern you have that you came from your Father's house to touch untouchable like us, people who, are, who have no hope, but you came and made your bride and united us with you, Lord. We thank you for this time of fellowship and the words that you have given us. Help us and forgive our many sins, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We shall conclude by singing to Psalm 62. Psalm 62, verse 5 to verse 8. My soul wait thou with patience upon thy God alone. On him depended all my hope and expectation. He alone my salvation is, and my strong rock is he. He alone is my sure defense. I shall not be moved. I shall not move it be. Let us sing. Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.